Hello, friends. My name's Tammy Simon, and I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I want to welcome you to the Sounds True podcast, Insights at the Edge. I also want to take a moment to introduce you to Sounds True's new membership community and digital platform. It's called Sounds True One. Sounds True One features original, premium, transformational docu-series, community events, classes to start your day and relax in the evening, special weekly live shows, including a video version of Insights at the Edge with an after-show community question and answer session with featured guests. I hope you'll come join us, explore, come have fun with us, and connect with others. You can learn more at join.soundstrue.com. I also want to take a moment and introduce you to the Sounds True Foundation, our nonprofit that creates equitable access to transformational tools and teachings. You can learn more at soundstruefoundation.org. And in advance, thank you for your support. In this episode, I speak with Osho Zenju Earthlin Manuel. Zenju, which is the Dharma name of Osho Zenju Earthland Menwell, and we're going to hear more about that, what it means that Zenju is Zenju's Dharma name, is an author, poet, ordained Zen Buddhist priest, teacher, and artist, and drum medicine woman. She's the author of several books, including The Shamanic Bones of Zen, The Way of Tenderness, the Deepest Peace, and now a new book with Sounds True. It's called Opening to Darkness, Eight Gateways for Being with the Absence of Light in Unsettling Times. That's what we're going to talk about, opening to darkness and what it means to stay with the darkness on its terms. Here's my conversation with Osho Zenju Earthlin Manuel. Welcome. Hi. Tell us about Zenju as your Dharma name. What does that mean? Uh, Zenju means complete tenderness. When you get ordained, you get two names. I, so my Dharma name is Ekai Zenju. And um, so Ekai is a more informal Zen name. And um, according to my teacher, Zenke Blanchartman, the late Zenke Blanchartman, um, it's very strict. So it, it's you're to use your formal name, not your informal name. So um, there's a long story about how I went from Ekai to Zenju. <laughs> Actually, she got really upset about me not doing the Zenju. And um, Zenju means complete tenderness. So when the name is given to you, that second name, that is your work. The first name is kind of how you are already in the world. Ekai is ocean of wisdom. Second name, Zenju, complete tenderness, the work you will do in the world. Powerful to think of this notion of complete tenderness. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to be honest with you. There's a part of me when I hear that, what happens inside is I go, ouch. Tell me what complete tenderness is and what it means to you? Well, um, when I heard that the name in, in the audience, they thought it as sweet, like, oh, 
That's so sweet, tenderness. And I kind of chuckled because I knew this. It wasn't who I was. That's why she was naming me that. But to me, it, it it's to be in that place of um, gentleness with oneself. And in that, you can be gentle with others. And to acknowledge the things that do um, hurt you or acknowledge those wounds, but not to stay in them, but to eventually um, become liberated from that. So to be named Zenju, being who I am and how I am embodied in the world was profound because how do you, how are you going to be tender um, or have a way of tenderness, which is the name of one of my books, uh, in the midst of uh, oppression, internalized and, and uh, imposed upon uh, life in which brings rage and anger. And yet um, this call, this way, this name to hold a place of tenderness, whether it hurts or not, you know, but mm -hmm. to hold it so that that one is um, not armored, not always defensive, yes. not yes. Um, always dying in anger and rage. Yeah, a powerful image to not be armored and to feel that kind of complete tenderness. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to talk about your new book, Opening to Darkness. Yes. What brought you to darkness as a theme that you wanted to write about in such depth? Um, I actually never thought I would ever write about something as so existential as darkness because it's a hard that's a hard topic i think to to write about i did the same thing with my other book the deepest peace pieces again another existential um, place tenderness is existential um during the pandemic uh, when it started i noticed right away that people were struggling with how to be um in this very dark place all over the world and everyone was in it. And I was in one way saying, this is a fantastic time to go into our caves. And um, even if you didn't stay at home, you might have had a job to have to go out, but the cave was to go in to notice our fear, our rage, our anger, um, being on the edge, the inability to be still, the the need to get out, right? Let's get out of the darkness. And um, this longing for light. And I said, this is interesting how much we long for the light and what light are we longing for became actually the question. And um, while we were in the pandemic, I think this is what made me put the pen to paper, uh, um, actually type on my computer, was during the pandemic, there was this rise of anti-Blackness. So we're in the dark, we're battling it within ourselves, and we also are battling the people who are carrying the dark skin. So this course went on with other groups, not just Black people went on to anti-Asian and on and on. You know, right? This went on for a while. And so I began to see the, for me, one being embodied 
in darkness. It was important to write from that embodiment while I'm in the darkness. And I think majority of the books on darkness, there may be some that I haven't seen are written by people who are not embodied in dark skin. And so I began to feel the darkness and that rise in anti-darkness, anti-blackness as a way in which we don't know how to live with it. So we like to annihilate it, eliminate it. Let's eliminate darkness. Let's eliminate dark people, dark matters, dark experiences as fast as we can. And so I think it was my, um, I think we'll say like an idea, I guess, or a philosophy that there's something that might be missing in our society that we don't have uh, the rituals and ceremonies that help us deal with darkness. Okay, I don't wanna get into what those might be because we, it could be a whole lot of things and we'd be off into a whole other world. But that's when I started writing about it and I kept writing about it as I got the contract to write the Shamanic Bones of Zen. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> what am I gonna do with these two things? And so I just kept writing on opening to darkness and trust that the Shamanic Bones of Zen would be there, which it was when it was time to write it. And it was right there. It was very simple to put that book um, together for me. So, but opening to darkness, I think it's important to understand that life is dark whatever way you define it mystery trouble whatever way you define it that is what we live in and it is exactly these things that create the fodder the soil for us to grow and to be and ascend if we can as a humanity that it's there and it's going to be there pandemic or no pandemic what I noticed was that I had a, a moment in really digging into opening to darkness where I was tracking with you completely about how as a society and as individuals, we have this bias always towards positivity and let's find the light and let's find the glass half full. We don't like dark times. We don't, I totally get that. And we haven't developed skills and capacities to go through dark passages in our lives totally with you and also totally with you in terms of racialized oppression and the oppression of black bodied people i'd never connected these two things and as you connected them in opening to darkness i had a lot of questions about the connection and i was like huh is it like a one-to-one -one connection or i'm curious how you see that Right, I think that's a, that's a good question, and I don't know if you felt it like a one to one. So I'm curious if you felt it as one or as separate. I felt it more as a question emerging for me, and I wanted to talk to you, uh, not just the writer, but a black-bodied Zenju, right. to help me understand how you see the right. connection. Yeah. So darkness is a to me. And I tried not to define it because I want people to explore this. Every all of my books are explorations and I go all over and everybody, you know, goes on the journey and then that's the end. So to me, 
there is an existentialism or essence in darkness. And there also is in blackness, but the, that existentialism and essence and let's add beauty has been stripped from the black skin of people. You know, when we see it, it, it is connected. When we see blackness, it's connected to what we feel about darkness as well. So there is a blackness that is unoppressed, that is from an origin of human beings, because here we are. <laughs> Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're black in America or dark in um, Tamil Nadu, you know, in India, you got the same problem going on. So it's darkness or even in our own society, dark eyes, dark hair, dark is not it. It's light. It's, it's got to be light, got to be blue, got to be blonde, <laughs> everything. So I started to feel into this essential blackness of myself through uh, Zen practice and how dynamic blackness is and how evolutionary it is. And I think I moved into that uh, evolutionary blackness. I moved into this evolutionary blackness that did not hold the oppression that was imposed upon it, even though I still experience oppression. So I'm not saying that. And so um, I think this has been a long quest and it's a long journey. So I think this writing started way before the pandemic. It started when I began to feel my own life as, ex as expansive as the ocean, you know, and that the things imposed upon blackness, uh, when that is taken away, that there's more expansion, there's more openness, to it, more openness to my own self, you know, my own uh, experiences I've had, and openness to life in general. And so if we're opening to darkness and opening to blackness, we're opening to life. No, you mentioned you don't want to define darkness for people. You want them to go on their very own dark exploration. Take us into that for the person who's listening right now. And they're like, I don't, I'm not sure I even know exactly what you mean by darkness. Right. I think this is good. Um, and I don't, I, when I said, excuse me, when I said I didn't want to define it, I didn't want to define it in the book as well. So I tried to stay away from it. Although there are a few adjectives in front of darkness in various places. So I believe that darkness and the path of darkness and life and the path of blackness, and you don't have to be black to experience blackness. We're wearing black, both of us. And so you don't have to experience it at, in, in skin only. So this journey is spiritual. It's a spiritual journey. And so it's one in which we go into the depth of life, uh, we sit in dark Buddha halls. I've sat in dark sweat lodges. You know, everywhere we go to hone in and to hopefully um, bring forth our own wisdom about darkness and light, about light, period. So to describe it and define darkness is to take away the journey, is to take away that walk, you know, around darkness and to, um, not 
be explore it in the way that I'm asking us to explore it uh, in this book and um, explore it through some, I have exercises in the book as well to explore it in that way so that you come up with your own. So as I said, in my context, it became very uh, palpable to, to be a person in dark skin and explore darkness all at the same time. And I couldn't separate it. You know, there was no separation between it. it. It didn't make sense to me, even though there was a part of me that was trying in some ways, but it didn't work because it was important to talk about that experience of darkness, not only the darkness that, of, that suppressed or the blackness that suppressed, but the darkness that's dynamic. Um, some people say it's full you know, it's, it has gifts, you know, people talk about that. So it's, it's a state of being, I think, darkness is a state of, um, of our lives that I think is supposed to be there. You know, it's not something that comes and then we fight it up like a monster, you know, bring out the, all the weapons, bring out all the remedies, bring out everything to fight it, but rather to, oh, here it is, which is what I have to deal with as a person of color, uh, a person who's dark. Here it is. Now, what do I do with it? How do I use it? How does it um, expand my life? And where do, where do I contract? You know, and how can I use this darkness as fodder? So let's take, for instance, um, racism. So when I was a child, and I heard about all these things, you know, when you get young, when you're young, you hear about what not to do because you're black, you know, and I was just like, wow, you know, I told my mother, they do know I didn't choose this color, <laughs> or maybe I did, but they do know I didn't do this. And there was no answer to that. You know, there was no answer from her to that. But I knew I was not going to live my life because I, uh, with this, you know, um, imposed, you know, maybe hatred might be a big word, but imposed disdain uh, that uh, that was put upon me because of the color of my skin. I, I refused that, but I didn't know what to do with the refusal, <laughs> you know, and so I just walked with it. I was wounded by it. I cried. I suffered. I didn't want to live, you know, anymore. I went off. I went out of this. And so it was important for me if I wanted to live and live fully, that I find a way to live within this darkness and what was given to me, this soil, and to see ways in which I could create within racism, which is what most people of color do. That's why you find so much creativity. And I do talk about creativity somewhere in the book. But there's so much creativity because you must find a way how to use the darkness, how to um, have it uh, benefit your life, have it open your eyes, have it expand your life. And that's what it did when I went into it as a Zen practitioner. It opened my whole life and I said, oh my God, you know, I, and it wasn't about I'm black and I'm proud and now I'm happy, you know, that kind of thing, you know are, you know, black is beautiful, which is what I was, these are some of the things I was taught in the six, seventies and sixties, but I needed something more concrete because it seemed like 
all the time something was happening, you know, and, and a lot of it was affecting my life. And so it was important to me, and I wanted to share that with others, this whole experience of being able to be with uh, dark matters, dark experiences, with blackness, with dark people, with all those things we have been taught and trained to turn away from, and then to consider uh, light in a different way. So I do talk about light. For those who get nervous about the book, I do talk about life in one chapter. So it's there. So it, it's related, I think, to how we see um, uh, darkness, blackness, lightness, whiteness. We use all of those terms politically. In my uh, field, of, uh, the way I walk in the world is spiritually. So I wanted to see how this was going to play out in a spiritual exploration, not only a political one, you know, or, um, I mean, all of my books are Dharma and, and most often, um, or about Buddhism. And most often the keywords are not Buddhism, they're not Zen, they're, they, it's always, you know, um, maybe um, political or you know, it's always thrown into some other category other than the where I am exploring, which is spiritual, because it has to, it, if you bring up blackness, it has to be that. But the blackness I bring up is spiritual. Well, what I was going to share with you a little bit, you mentioned how opening into darkness is a type of exploration. And I just want to share with you a little bit here about my journey inside myself and then have you comment and have us dialogue about it. Because at first when you were talking about darkness as the absence of light, I had a moment of like, I don't know if I know that darkness. That was my first thing. Like, I thought darkness has this like sparkle in it, even when it's, the, so I went, that was my first place. I was like, I don't understand the absence of light. I want to, I want to understand that, but I'm not sure I do. And then as you shared a story later in the book about an experience you had with anaphylactic shock, where you almost died, and you talked about the allergic reaction you had and how it was hard for you to breathe and everything, then suddenly I had a moment of, oh, I get what the absence of light is. Because like most people, I've had experiences of being very, very ill and wondering if I was going to make it. I mean, I think a lot of people have had some experience like that. And there's no light in that experience. There's just, there's, let's just say it the way it is. It's looking at death. You're looking at death and looking at it. And I, in my own experience, I was like, okay, now I understand the absence of light. So I'm just curious just to take a moment and step back. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about this whole notion of the absence of light. And maybe you could also share your discoveries of that experience you had when you went into anaphylactic shocks. It was so powerful. Yeah. Um, so when you were talking about um, you, you see little sparkly things or something you said, in darkness. So I, I, I challenge you, what is that sparkly thing, you know, and when we say we see light, what is that? You know, is it something of our mind, something of the movies, something of a book, something of something else outside of ourselves? What's sparkling? What's, what's shining? 
have, you know, and um, is it shining? Uh, so um, even when in the book, I talk about light not being, you can't see it either. You can't see light, really. Personally, that's what I believe. You, it's just as unknown as darkness. And I think that that's what makes it very frustrating <laughs> to be in the dark and to be in dark experiences um, because you don't know where it is and you don't know how to get out of the darkness. So you're just in there and you've been taught to wait for this light, to wait for whatever gifts darkness has. What if we don't strip the darkness? We're just there. And I'm not talking about wallowing in it until you're, you've lost your mind. Or if you have, um, you know, um, uh, you don't have a mental capacity to do it, I think you should not, you know, or if you do it, have, get help. So I want to say that it's not for everybody to do a dark practice. So, um, but even though the darkness is right there, even the, the thing that's keeping you from being in it. So I feel like um, when I had that anaphylactic shock, um, there was, I could tell by, I went to my neighbor's house when I was having it. I was having it at her house and then I went upstairs to my apartment and that's when I began to notice I couldn't breathe and I was hanging my head out the window trying to breathe and that wasn't doing anything. And I said, oh my God, I really can't breathe. So I called 911 and I was able to do that. And of course I couldn't talk. And so then the next thing is I ran to the bathroom because I noticed I couldn't see either. And my eyes had um, were like golf balls. They were all purple, huge out here. And I said, oh, my God. And I, I couldn't walk. I, was, I could tell I was getting weak. And so I started, I crawled back down the stairs to my friend's apartment. And, um, and the way she looked at me was like, you're going to die. <laughs> I could feel it without her saying any of those words. And so um, she brought me in. She gave me, and she had a Benadryl, which is a antihistamine, right? She stuffs it down my throat with her finger because the throat is closed, right? So she stuffs it down to me and proceeds to go to bed, and I do too. And so the next morning, so I'm laying there, though, before the morning comes, I'm laying there and I'm going, I can't not breathe. And I am dying here. I didn't say it to her. I just knew I was dying, you know, in my own little space where I was laying down. And somehow I just heard this voice say, use your skin. <laughs> breathe through your skin. Your skin can breathe. And I just laid there and kind of pretended that the skin was my diaphragm or everything. It was my air, my lungs, everything that would help to breathe. And um, of course, I did not go to sleep. The morning came. My friend rushed, rushed off to work. I'm still in my room, in my bed. And I decided I think I better, everything has gone down a little bit. I decided on the inside, I decided to go to the doctors and um, on my own, drove, can barely see. I'm like holding my eyes up like this to see. When I get there, the doctors are like, they look at me like, I just got up out of my grave and they brought me into a room really fast. And I said, I had, you know, they said you had an anaphylactic shock. They said it. And I said, yes. And they said, you had a full blown one that should have killed you. No one lives through a full blown anaphylactic shock. And I said, well, my friend gave me a Benadryl. He said, no, 
that's too small of a thing. You would have needed a whole lot more than that. And um, brought in all the doctors to look at me and they kind of just blessed me and say, whatever you're here to do in your life to do it. There was no uh, light in the sense that we talk about light. You know, something bright, you know, an aha, you know, a major, you know, transformation from that experience. Um, but it was staying with and not trying to get out, not struggling. I really feel if I would have struggled, I would have died. I really feel that, but I did not. I did not struggle. Um, I was not afraid. I don't know why, but I was not afraid. And um, and that is a, a way I think I, when I share that experience in the book, it's, it's that, I think, inner way of allowing life to be what it is, even though it doesn't measure up to how you want to be in the moment. Okay, my, is my body betraying me? Why am I leaving? Uh, all of a sudden, there's so many other things I could have, you know, died from and here, I, you know, what has happened? I don't even know what has happened. I didn't even know, even though it was an anaphylactic shock and maybe that was good. I was clueless to all of that. And um, I think that kind of being with it and dwelling with it all those hours was, um, a discovery that there there is something of the darkness of the essential darkness and we want to call it abundant or expansive all of that that has something to say to us and to give to us now we don't go get the gifts you know i'm looking for a gift oh darkness should have gave me a gift oh dar darkness gave me the gift of life but i think it was beyond that it was beyond gift of life it was just an awakening in, in its very subtle way, not a big bang, a very subtle way of uh, showing me um, how I could just, how I could breathe without breathing. I mean, I, it was closed. Nose, throat, everything was closed. There was no flow, I'm serious, no flow uh, through my body. And so I, I feel that um, we're, I'm still exploring it, we'll always explore it, as to what is this darkness in the absence of light? So kind of inviting everybody to let go of this whole light, you know, um, you know the sparkle you talk about. Even if yeah. you think you see it, to let it go. Because, and to not say, I know what it is, or to, you know, force people like to come out, like if they're not, you know, feeling in a way that you, you want them to feel, oh, come on, you know, let's go do this and you'll be, you'll feel better. You'll get happy. Come on out. Stop crying, you know, stop, you know, wallowing, you know, um, these things we say to each other are, um, or they decide, oh, it should be about over now. Whatever you're dealing with should be over because when I deal with things, it's over within a month. And you've gone on too long now, it's six months. This is currently happening to me <laughs> in mm -hmm. some ways. So I can really speak from a very visceral place right now. Now, 
I want to deepen my understanding of the absence of light. So it's one thing when I hear you say like, don't, you don't have to look for like the silver lining, the positive thing, stop it, everybody telling me to see the gift. Like, I get that. I totally get that. I'm curious about like visually, do you have an experience of darkness in the absence of light and what that's like for you from a, like a visual immersion? It's not seeing, not hearing, not tasting, not knowing, not not touching, not feeling it with my hands. Um, it's being lost. You know, it's, I think it like might be the scariest thing for us to think of ourselves falling into some dark well, like while we're taking a walk or something and suddenly falling into the ground, into the dark pit, you know, so it's, it's being there you can't really see into it but you can feel that you're there you can feel that you're there you can maybe even see it if you are in a dark hole you know or something is happening which you can't no longer see um, with your eyes there's so many dimensions to light and dark when we talk about it even myself when we're talking about it it's almost ridiculous because it's so beyond us it's so beyond us as human beings, but there it is. And we do have words for what we think we're feeling, we think we're seeing, but yet there's something beyond that. And that's, that's what I, I, I want to explore so that when we get the true essence of it, what's been imposed in terms of fear about it, fear of darkness or what's been imposed about stay away from you know, avoid all darkness at all costs. You know, um, what we've learned um, to me is uh, to stay away from life. Basically, you can't you can't not stay you cannot not have darkness. And now, what kind of light is? Oh yes, we have the word light. It does exist. And when I did, I think I mentioned something about a dark light in the book because i think for me if i were to you know add on a concept more concepts <laughs> and more um perception about it that the light is still dark it's dark and it's unknown it's dark in that we don't always see the light it's dark in that we don't really know what it is um we have in our minds an idea of what we want light to be but it's existentially and spiritually, we don't really know it. We can experience it. You know, there are times we can, we feel we experience it. And I just invite everyone to note that, you know, as you're, um, you know, if you have the book and you're reading it, just note it for yourself. What is the experience as opposed to what is the definition or what does, how is it formed? so that you could hold on to it. So this is, it's formed this way. When I was in the dark, light was this. And so every time you're in the dark, you're going, come on now, come on, bring it, bring that light, bring that uh, butterfly, whatever it was you formed in, you know, and then you're like, wow, no butterfly, darn it. Because it's, it's, it's a form in your mind, you know, that you think, and it may come another way, you don't know. It may, it, we don't know. We only know or we can only experience it 
So I, I always uh, invite discovery, even in asking the question, you know, because the answers, you know, I always tell people, I don't have any answers. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any answers, but I do have something I'd like to share. And I do have explorations and experiences I like to share, but answers, like they always say, are pretty cheap. You know, it's the journey that's going to, you know, bring, and I'm very interested in what people's journeys are. Um, and in Opening to Darkness, you offer gateways, uh, yes, gateways, please. portals, and many of them, uh, many options, and they're brilliant. I want to talk about a, a couple of them. Okay. One of them, you write, one of our greatest teachers of darkness is death. And I think that is, for many people, a very accessible gateway, meaning to get to that place of absolute unknowing of what's going to happen and to be confronted with what's that going to be like. So I wonder if you can share a little bit more how somebody could explore their own relationship with their own dying as a way of relating more deeply with darkness. Well, as the ancient ones say, we die every day. And there's something that is lost and taken away from us out of things that are out of our control. Um, people of color live with that oppression out of your control. So that that feels like something's been taken away. Um, life is ended. Remember I was saying I was feeling like, oh no, I don't know if I could live a life like this with, you know, um, where there's hatred, you know, just if I appear in front of someone, I don't know if I can live that kind of a life. And so, so I, I feel like you can find a, a lot of experience. I, I was, I guess, fortunate in some ways and unfortunate in others that I lost a young friend at six years old. We were both six years old and she died. And it was my first time even knowing that children die because at that time they weren't showing children dying even on TV, not even in movies or anything. They just didn't show that very much. So I was shocked by it. And, um, and I probably began my ex exploration then as six as to what is this thing, this life, you know, where, where did she go? Where did I, where am I going? You know, and I feel like the, the way to um, maybe start to explore is to look at the places in which um, there's no control and yet you're suffering. So I'm gonna add that component of suffering to it because a lot of people say, well, I love the dark, you know, and, and me too, I will sit in the dark and watch the sun go down right in my house with the lights out. I will do that and enjoy that, but there's no suffering in that darkness and no, I'm not controlling the sun going down, but there's no suffering. So I'm just adding the component suffering because in my exploration, I'm always at the crossroads of our suffering, not of what we enjoy. That's great for everyone. Yes, joy. And that's important so that we do have that too. But I am at the crossroads of where there is suffering. So I invite you to look at that something that's uncontrollable, um, something that causes uh, suffering. And note if you are expanding or constricting in that experience, 
or interaction or in that discovery. And then notice, um, not immediately, but maybe time, give it time, nine months, a year to see how that darkness shaped you. Because in that shaping, it's also shaping the light. It's also shaping the light. And rather than you shaping it and creating it as the butterfly. So you're not going off looking for that butterfly all the time, you know, or waiting like, okay, that that's long enough. Yeah. We still have COVID-19. <laughs> What do you think are the inner capacities that are required to stay in the way you're describing, to stay with darkness? I think that's a really good question. I really am thankful you asked it. I feel that it's, it gives, I think, hopefully, people another um, way to look at uh, meditation or any kind of Qigong or Tai Chi or any of those practices in which the breath is important, you know, in order for it to, to even um, be executed. So what we are doing in meditation is not only being trying to be calm, which some people are, but also learning to be in the expansiveness of, of, of your life in, in that moment. So meditation, you know, all of these practices we have in our a Western world that came from other places. In those other places, those were practices of the dark, learning how to be in this life so that when these things were confronted with all that's going to happen, there's always going to be a disruption. There is no such a thing as life without disruption. And so these practices came to help us be with those things. So. You could be in meditation and you're saying, my life is not getting any better, but it is expanding. It is expanding with each breath. You know, when you do yoga uh, or Qigong or any of these um, practices, ancient practices, you are expanding your life. You are expanding uh, into a more vastness than the constricted stories that we have. I could rattle off a whole bunch more stories of darkness like right now but i will not and those those um those stories are are stories they're experiences but then my practice as as a person who has been sitting for decades i i note how i can sit in the expansiveness of the suffering because suffering is expansive too it could be constricting it could be wounding Tenderness could be wounding, or it could be expansive. It could be liberating. Not you deciding it, because I say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it expansive. Next time I'm suffering, I'm gonna really go out there. That is still, you're not in it. You're not in this. What in the way that you're in it is how you have embodied some type of practice. It could be prayer too. So I don't want to just leave it, you know, there with. Um, it could be chanting. It could be singing. It could be, there are some people who sing and you know the note, when the note hits, everyone just goes into a, a state. So it could be that too. So it doesn't have to be meditation. I just want to put that out there. But it has to be something that, um, that where you're, you're in this place and you're with it and it's uh, helping you to be still, 
it's helping you to listen to the silence and um and in that you will begin to see suffering different and experience suffering different experience darkness different lightness whiteness and blackness all of it will be experienced differently mostly we experience these things like a, a whiteness and blackness politically we don't experience this spiritual but there is a spiritual component you know to all of it because it, it started there all of it came out of the dark all of it came from the dark so that's what makes a spiritual aspect to all of these things that we talk about all the time and so yeah i am trying to shift the dialogue a little bit you know kick in something you know that's a little bit different than what we've been talking about um since uh, the rise of some of our movements in our country and to um, i'm not anti-political either but to to add an, a component that will help us um, stay with and create something far beyond our imaginations you know and allow our hands and ourselves to be used to create the book when i was writing this book I, I had no idea there'd be eight gateways. And when I was writing it, I was resisting that those gateways <laughs> a lot. And then it just, I realized the gateways, because I, I don't like writing curriculum where people, if we do this, you get this, you know, you get this result. <laughs> but I realized that the exercises are ways of expanding and expanding by using your intuition. So you're building intuition in the exercises of the eight gateways, each gateway, building an intuition and going beyond what is taught and what is learned about darkness and blackness. Uh, and then not taking a definition from Zinju or from Manual, but from your own lives, you know, as you learn and as you expand, you know, over time and you're not constricted to just what's, you know, hurting, it's hurting. And I'm in deep pain right now, personally. But if it's hurting, because I'm going through some experiences, if it's hurting, then you it's hurting. You're just there with that hurting. You might need help, you know, with that hurting, with that sadness, with the whatever, you know, or the frustration and rage and anger is also part of all of that waiting, you know, and being, you know, and, uh, it hasn't been easy for me to, to develop this capacity. Um, it's taken time. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Zen didn't do it. But I put myself in a place in which it could be done. That could be a cave. It could be a sweat lodge. It could, I put myself on these paths, not knowing maybe that I'd be writing a book about opening to darkness. No. Surprise. No. Zendru, you said, you know, I'm going through something, I'm in great pain right now. And, you know, I don't know if we would have known that at the beginning of our conversation, you were, you know, you have a gorgeous smile. And I was like, wow, what a beautiful smile, I was thinking. And what I'm wondering to know more about, and really, it's a way for you to illustrate what it means to be with Suff that intersection of suffering and darkness. How are you doing it? Yes. So great question again. Um, for today, and for this moment, and for this talk, I had to rise 
to a level. Um, when I teach, it seems to, or share, sometimes I say share, because mostly it's what I'm doing. When I share, I feel supported by my ancestors and by my family and friends and by you for inviting me. I feel supported in, in, in being here in this moment. And then if you follow me an hour later, I will be in my bed in tears. So there are tears right now in my life because I just lost my um, companion, partner, beloved of 23 years uh, being together. And every day for 60 days, I have cried. It's been many days, maybe more than 60. And I laugh because in this moment, there is a joy in those tears because I'm supported in this moment. And then when I'm alone, the tears um, make a, you know, bust a gateway. Um, and it's not like I haven't cried while sharing, but I think I've been in this, this portal uh, of uh, in between world for a while now that I was able to come to this talk. I could not have come any sooner, even as no sooner than even last week. So I feel like the ancestor timed it because I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, how I'm going to be, you know, when I come to this talk. But I do know I'm in a portal and I'm interested in seeing and feeling uh, with you and everyone how this, what I'm experiencing. And I'm listening to myself. I'm listening as I speak and I feel my sadness. You know, I feel my aloneness. And then I just feel all this joy of you all being here with me in it. And so it's expansive, it's multidimensional. And some of my smiling is I'm, I'm a very nervous person. I'm, a, I'm an introvert and all writers are. <laughs> and I always tell writers, don't write a book now. <laughs> if you're an introvert and most writers do write a book, right? And I am totally an introvert. So laughing is an energy to help me um, stay connected um, to my body. It's just like the breath, you know? So we have a lot of things that help us connect to our bodies, not just breathing. And so I use it quite a bit to, to connect to myself and to connect to um, who I'm sharing with and who I'm interacting with. And yes, there are times, of course, in the beginning, I could have not have done this in November when she died. I could not have done this in January, you know, but I've been held all these months by many, many people and who have helped me in, to lay in the, their lap and in the lap of darkness and um, to experience it without stopping it. Now, so we've always heard this thing when someone dies and everyone disappears eventually <laughs> after the funeral and all that. And that's true, that happens because people decide that's it. They don't know this is a two year, three year, four year, five year, I will be here or even a year or even nine months, you know, to birth this new, new person. I am in joy of this new incarnation that is coming through because of her death. And she too 
is being reincarnated in some way. She's changed, she's transformed, and so have I. I am totally in that darkness as a transformer, being at the darkness being the transformer, and not me. It's not me, I can't, I don't even know what to change, but things are changing. I can feel it in myself and I can feel the grief. And it's familiar. It's not just because she died. It's more because she died, but the grief is always there. It's part of life. This grief has been here with me from the day probably I cried <laughs> for the first time. It's old, 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 ancient. Now, one thing I want to say, Zenju, is that uh, the support you feel is real. I, I do feel the support uh, myself and also on behalf of Sounds True, of you and your work and the vessel of creation that you are and the way that you articulate opening to darkness. You, you have our love and support. So thank you for uh, being here, even in right in the midst of your experience and i did want to see if we could connect two things which is you know i asked you what capacities are required and you talked about really spiritual training spiritual practice and all of the different practices including prayer that we do how how has that helped you now through a passage like that directly how how does the training in those capacities play out well, I, I'm never sure what it's going to do. Every time something comes to me, I'm like, we're going to see. I call it the crucial instant, <laughs> the crucial moment. We all have them. We have this crucial moment in which we don't really know about all the medicines we have gathered, whether they're going to work for us or not. So I had no idea if anything I had gathered would work for me. And I watched myself. I didn't make myself practice. I have done no meditation, none. I have not sat down. I have been quiet. I have been silent. I have been still. But I don't go into zazen. You know, I'm not, I'm not going into anything. Zazen is meditation for Zen practitioners. So I feel that um, you never can know how anything is going to affect you. And the joy is to be opened and discover how it is. So I, I could have, you know, I wondered, you know, especially in the beginning, you know, with so much crying, I wondered whether or not, you know, sometimes what I was crying about, you know, sometimes, but it would be, but then there would be this observation that would come in, this witnessing of life in front of me and witnessing the visions of the things I saw in the dying process and in the final death and in the body. And I, and I had, so I had this whole witnessing going on and this whole observation within and without, and then this complete discombobulation, which I allowed at any time, <laughs> moment. And I'm not, most people, some people might not have known what to do with it because I don't normally cry a lot. I don't call myself, I think I'm not a leaky person. I don't cry a lot. And so when people do experience that with me, they're like, I can sense the, oh my God, I don't know 
what to do with the cryings in you. <laughs> We're so used to this other person. And um, I didn't let that stop me. It did, I, did, I cried with my Sangha uh, members. I, I cried with everybody. I cried in the beginning so much um, because that's all I could do. All my sessions, my console sessions on grief were just me sitting in the Zoom because it's in Zoom. I had to do it. The person I'm doing it with is in California. And the first month was just turning on Zoom and crying in front of her and trying to breathe. And so I think that my practice allowed me to do all of it, everything, rather than, you know, your practice is to, you know, well, you know, she's not dead. She's right with you, these kind of things people would say. And I would breathe that in and I and and keep going I didn't take it in as doesn't matter she's not here and she is here that's not what's mattering for me but thank you I was grateful that's when I say breathed in the, the gratitude of somebody trying to take care of this person this spirit <laughs> this heart I love that you know everyone trying their best and not knowing what to say and, and um but the silent ones were the best ones <laughs> just silent and um that way I could be there to allow it all in because a lot was happening because uh, you have to have a little business going on too setting up the funeral going to the funeral there's a lot of business money you know and having to do all of that and so I felt like a lot of people were saying I can't believe how you did all that I created three ceremonies and you know doing all the business crying and all that and I just felt that that was a practice that I was able to, and still, I'm still in it. I'm still doing, you know, and, and, and then do my life and then be here for a new book that just came out Tuesday. And to embrace that as well. Like everyone's like, you're not gonna be, you better call them up and cancel. And <laughs> I did cancel some things. I want people to know that I had to. Um, and hopefully I'll return to the, those events. Um, but it allowed me to be here. My practice is allowing me to be here and to speak from my heart, even though it's aching, to still speak that the, uh, an aching heart can have many, many expressions. The book is written from an aching heart. All my work is from an aching heart. I believe I use the dark to um, to create, to to go in and feel into what life brings. Period. You know, to how do you hold it? And I have, and I put it in words, so they're not words to keep or to quote or to know for anyone to, to do that. Not even myself, because I I rarely know sometimes what I wrote until I read it again. I, I rarely know. So it's always scary to do an interview like, oh, my God, I don't know what I've written because I just something that's just come through me and then it moves on to something else coming through me and um, often feeling not as an author, but a messenger. You know, and, and and I will do that. I will write in that vein as a messenger. Not not so much an author. And I remember my first publication, I asked, do I have to put my name on it? <laughs> and it's like, we could write anonymous. 
I'm sure the publisher said yes. We would like to have your byline. Okay, uh, Zenju, I just have two final two final questions for you. Yeah, you mentioned silence, silence, and how when people were with you in silence, there was a support there. And in opening to darkness, you write about the connection between silence and darkness. And you wrote, "I was guided once." to sip on silence as if enjoying a fine tea. I thought that was so beautiful. And I'd love to know your experience, the connection between silence and darkness. Yes, yes, completely. I think these words that I speak and these words that you speak to came from silence out of dark, out of the dark if we slowed ourselves down a bit, like really slow, we could see it coming. I have a, a haiku I wrote in my deepest piece. It's the same thing. And I said, the Dharma talk is the breath before the words. That's the Dharma talk. When I breathed, I felt that one time. I said, okay, that's the end of, uh, that's my presentation. But I know people weren't gonna <laughs> allow that either. Like, okay, bye. She didn't say anything. But everything comes from the darkness. Everything is created. Everything comes from, you know, the, the place of the womb or all these places are dark. And they come from the silence, out of the silence. And we can, we can actually send them back. I think they go back on their own. So all of these words I'm saying, a lot of them will go back into the silence and you'll forget everything I said or half of what I said. And I think that that's quite the way it's supposed to be. You just let go and then you might hold on to something, but it will go away too. It will go back into that silence. And then you'll have to ask me all over again, all those questions. <laughs> and finally, I would love to invite you to use uh, the power of language, power of your words, to, uh, if you would, it's an invitation to leave us with some kind of blessing for that person especially who's listening right now and is not experiencing darkness in an expanded way yes. but instead is in the constriction of darkness okay great thank you i'd like to share something from the book if that's okay please um, and um let's see I have a lot of them that are my favorites. So this one, okay, well, let me make sure just in case somebody's not in the process of dying. That one's mostly dying, so hold on. I should have put a book bookmark because I did hear this was gonna happen in my mind. Uh, and these uh, meditations, uh, okay, how about this one? I trust the darkness for the light it is giving at this time. I know the darkness is filled to the brim and I need only be aware of how it generously overflows into my life for the sake of wellness. 
May I be ready and willing, even in pain, to let the unknown light show me its face. I've been speaking with Osho Zenju Earthlin Manuel. She's reading from her new book, Opening to Darkness, Eight Gateways for Being with the Absence of Light in Unsettling Times. And if you'd like to watch Insights at the Edge on video and participate in after-the-show Q&A conversations with featured presenters and have the chance to ask your questions, come join us on Sounds True One, a new membership community that features premium shows, live classes, and community events. Let's learn and grow together. Come join us at join.soundstrue.com. Sounds true. Waking up the world.